0: Welcome to Evidence for Faith, the Christian Worldview program, supported in part by Grace Community Church of Waterford Works, New Jersey. My name is Keith Kendricks. Dr. Mike is off today. So pinch-hitting for him is author Kirk Hastings. Kirk, welcome back to the studio. Hello there. It's good to have you back. Thanks, good
1: to be here. Kirk... Sorry that Mike isn't here, but it's good to be here anyway. Yeah,
0: there you go. Uh, I don't know many people... Uh, Mike doesn't talk a lot about himself, but Mike is an internal medicine physician who sees patients at his office in Mays Landing. Oh, good. I have this little pain right here. Okay. Well, people in the audience might be interested. You know, he doesn't ask that commercials be done. Uh, even... That's why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah, That's right. People coming in with a pain. So... Um, but he's an excellent physician who looks out not only for your physical well-being, but for your spiritual well-being, too. He is a terrific guy. I like doctors like that. Absolutely. Treat the whole person. Absolutely. Our sound technician today is Tom Feliciano. Tom, is Kirk's volume good? Because I'm not hearing him ter- terribly well. Yeah, sounds
2: good to me. Okay. You can turn
0: your headphones up. Right All right, great. And, there we go. So, Kirk, you have written a book. We've talked about it in the past, since you were here. Mm -hmm. Um, What is Truth? And the reason I like having you as a guest host is because that book really covers the broad range of evidences for Christianity, and it's a terrific introductory work on all the evidences that support Christian beliefs, and it really fits into the the nature of the show. It's almost like a book
1: version of this program, actually.
0: Yes, yes it is. Yes it is. Now, Mike and I have something coming up. We are going to be speaking at the First Baptist Church of Egg Harbor City. We're going to be doing a Mother's Day breakfast for the ladies. So we did a a men's retreat there, a men's uh, resurrection breakfast, and this one's going to be A Mother's Day breakfast on May 8th. So we're going to be recording live again, just like we did for the uh, men's breakfast. So breakfast will be at 8 o'clock, and at 9 o'clock we're going to record the show with the live audience, and then that will be played the next day on Mother's Day. So we're going to be talking about why our kids are leaving the Christian faith in large numbers and we're also going to squeeze in a little bit about what science can tell us about the mother of us all, what they call mitochondrial Eve. Ever heard of that, Kirk? Mitochondrial mm, Eve.
1: Sounds familiar, but I don't recall exactly what
0: that is. Okay. We're, well, then you'll have to come. You, I, I don't know. You'll have to I dress up better. or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, ladies, you can check check that out on the website, evidenceforfaith.com. It's evidence, the number four, faith.com. We have past podcast shows there. Uh, in fact, I was looking at the statistics. The, the numbers, the usage on the website keeps growing. And right now, the most popular show has been the Fulfilled Prophecy Show, followed by the Absurdity of Atheism, and then the Show on Miracles, and then uh, the fourth most popular show is The Reliability of the Bible. So if you're interested in any of those shows, you can podcast them at evidenceforfaith.com. We are also on Facebook as a group, so you can join our group on Facebook. But today you are either listening to us live on WIBG 1020, or you are listening to us online at wibg.com. If you'd like to call in, you can reach us at 609-398-1020. Now, we not only talk about the evidences for Christianity, but we also talk about the many benefits that Christianity brings to individuals, families, and to society as a whole. So we don't shy away from politics on this show. In fact, we've talked about it at least twice, if not more times, uh, in the past. And our political values are what made America free and prosperous. And so that's the theme that we talk about. And along that theme, we have a guest with us today. She is running for Congress For the Republican ticket against Frank Lobiondo in the second district, Linda Biamonte. Welcome, Linda, to Evidence for Faith.
3: Hi, Keith. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on and taking the time out of this Sunday to allow me to speak.
0: No problem. If you would like to talk to Linda, you can call us at 609 398 1020. Linda, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background.
3: Um, well, I am from the 2nd District. Uh, I grew up here uh, in Ocean City. Well, I grew up in Summers and Ocean City. Uh, I went to school in, in, in both, both towns. Uh, I graduated from Ocean City High. Um, I moved away from the District for a while and, and started a career in advertising, but I've always come back to the District. I love where I grew up. It was a great place to grow up. I mean, wh- what better can you have than beaches and surf to grow up? um so and my mother still lives here she's she's never left uh so she i come back to visit her and about a year ago i decided to uh i moved home um because unfortunately i was a uh part of the the job losses going on around the country uh fortunately i have found another position uh but during that time um i've been very politically active probably for about 10 or 12 years um spent some time in washington uh with various uh folks Um, Became very, very involved, and I became very involved uh, within the 2nd District while I've been home. Um, And uh, very dissatisfied with what's going on in our current administration, uh, in the prior administration as well, and currently what's going on in our country, as well as my district. Uh, I feel my opponent, our current congressman, um, though... Early in his career, he he, he had some he, he did some great things for the second district. I think in the last ten years, um, his his voting his voting record uh, it, it leaves some explanation on his side.
0: All right. Now you're running second district. You said yes. And this is the primary. So yes. the election is what in June eighth. June eighth. Okay. So it's June eighth. Second district. Um, you it, know. Where's that? Where's the second district? It's the
3: largest district in the state of New Jersey. Uh, It covers uh, seven counties, um, three three full counties, which is Atlantic, Cape May, and Salem, and partially Burlington, Gloucester, and Camden are the counties that it covers.
0: Okay, so fairly big area. Yes. Okay, great. And we do have a caller, so let's take line two. Go ahead, caller. No, we're not hearing anything. All right, let's try this. Go ahead. Hello. There you are.
1: Oh, hi. Linda, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, I have a small business, tend to vote on, on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. I am a registered Democrat, however, mm-hmm. so I can't be voting in the primary. Yes. Tell me why it is that in November, should you um, make a good showing against Frank Lubiondo, tell me why I should vote for you as opposed to, let's say, the, the incumbent. Because I have a tendency to agree with a lot of what Frank Lobiondo has done in the past, except for maybe the cap and trade.
3: Okay. Um, well, regarding small business, um, you know, 60 or 80 percent of our job creation in this country is small business. Uh, w- w- one, of the thi- w- one of the things that, that's killing small business is the taxation on small business, increasing minimum wage, which is detrimental to small businesses uh, trying to keep up with the minimum wage. I mean, the government has 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 has, has no right to tell a small business what they should pay. Um, he did vote for the increase of minimum wage, which was detrimental to small businesses. One of the things that I would like to do. Um, is is bring back the uh, investment tax uh, uh, rebate uh, under uh, Ronald Reagan that allows businesses to uh, take a tax deduction within the first year instead of the, instead of five years. Okay, very good. Thank you, caller.
0: Thank you, uh, Linda. Yes. A more basic question: Why are you running?
3: I'm running because I'm very dissatisfied with what's going on in my country uh, altogether. Um, you and a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> though uh, our, our, our congressmen represent a district, they also represent a country. They Their, their votes on legislation that goes through Congress uh, not only affects their district, it affects everyone in the country. Um, it's not as of late. This has been going on for a good, uh, I'd say, 30 years of just detrimental legislation. I mean, you know, the the founders, uh, their core principles was to keep small government, okay? The larger the government gets, the more tyranny we have. Um, And we can see that in our daily life of liberties that are taken away from us um, in in, in little pieces of legislation, uh, cap and trade being one of them um cap and trade is probably one of the the biggest tax uh tax takers or tax increases in the history of our country. Um, Just for uh,
1: listeners yes. that might not be aware of it, could you give us a quick overview of what cap-and-trade is and what <laughs> yeah. your position on it is? Good question. Um, well,
3: cap-and-trade cap and, tr- cap and trade has to do with carbon credits. Uh, the basic pre- premise of it is that they're going to tax carbon. Um, carbon is not a detrimental gas. It's, it, they consider it a greenhouse gas. But uh, let's go back to photosynthesis. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's basically where carbon comes from mm-hmm. um vegetation can't survive without it and we can't survive without vegetation otherwise we'd have a brown planet mm-hmm. um i don't even know if they if they teach photosynthesis in schools any longer <laughs> um but i mean you know i mean that's that's common logic i mean carbon is, is a natural gas and fuels that we burn are natural gas fossil fuels are natural
1: so, um, so they see these uh, our incumbents see this as a bad thing the carbon emissions is what you're they about. see
3: it as a cash cow is what they see it Mm. as. They see it as a cash cow to trade derivatives across the marketplace, just like the housing bubble. Uh, That's what they see it. The Goldman Sachs and the Al Gores of the world see dollar signs in their eyeballs with these carbon tax credits Mm. to the detriment of industry and people. So that's basically, in a nutshell, what this bill entails. Um, and they'll tax everything. They'll tax you breathing. They'll tax your electric rates. Um, as I had said earlier in the show, um, you will also have an increase in anything that's made with petroleum. Garbage bags will increase. Uh, the milk will increase of the, the, the container that it's in. Um, plastics. Plastics, because ge- it's all made Everything's from made of lipstick, plastic chapstick, uh, tires, uh, car parts. I, I mean, uh, there, we, we could have a broad brushstroke of, of things that are made with petroleum that would probably double in price right. to the American people. Um, so and their
1: stated purpose behind this is they want you to use less of these things?
3: They want to curtail your emissions. It is all a war against cars. In we other words, be... ride a bicycle
1: to work instead well, of Well, you know, it's car. funny
3: that you say that. I just had to do a business trip in Amsterdam. Uh, I was in Eindhoven, and, and uh, I came back, and it was funny, on my eight-hour flight back, I was sitting there going this administration wants to turn us into Holland. Mm. Yeah. That's what they want to do. They want to turn us into Holland. Yep. Because cars are so overpriced over there because the petrol's high and what it costs to their industry to make cars. Most people drive bikes. Um, I, but I, Holland is
1: a totally different country than oh, America it, is. It, it, exactly. They can exactly. do that and survive, it, but I don't think we could do we that can.
3: here. We can't. Just our landscape of our country, we couldn't survive like that. Right. Um, so, you know, but... Try telling that to to a progressive administration. Um, they don't see it that way. They, everybody thinks you know Europe is great. Well, they pay a seventy percent tax structure and they get everything for free. Well, it doesn't come for free because you're paying seventy percent of your taxes. Right. You know. Yeah, so their biggest
0: their biggest concern <laughs> is uh, what vacation they're going to take. Exactly. The heck is that free? 70% exactly. Of your well, you know
3: one thing too that they don't have they don't have a constitution. They don't have an American Constitution Mm -hmm. that fifty-six great men put together for us with a core of freedom and liberty. That is exactly what they didn't want. They left a country that does exactly what Holland does. Right. So, so the primary issue is it goes directly against what our founders gave this great country. We have a constitution. Mm -hmm. So,
0: so this cap and trade thing goes back to the idea of global warming. So, I take it that exactly. Do not believe that global warming is caused by man.
3: It's 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 junk science, if you want to call that science, uh, to fool the American people into becoming Europe. Right.
1: Well, we have to justification for the green Actu- people to do uh, what they exactly. do. Exactly.
3: I mean, what do you want to do? Is live live in caves? Right. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's why we don't do drilling here. I mean, my right. op- my opponents voted one hundred percent against drilling.
0: Well, we've uh, we've discussed uh, global warming several times on the show. This is you know. A show about science and religion, and, and, and we have debunked the uh, global warming myth uh, multiple times. But they are still after us with that. So. Yes, they are. They're after our money. Yeah, and ma- I
1: think that they use a lot of fear mongering with the drilling yes. off the coast yes. because they make it sound yes. like if they do this, we're going to see all these big rigs out. No. Th- Beyond the beach, but that's not true. You might
3: see one big rig, and and the technology with drilling now, they can do directional drilling. They can do slant drilling. I've read about that. Um, there has not. We had two her- Category Five hurricanes in the Gulf. Uh, uh, with what was it 2005? Mm. Not one ounce of oil spilled. Okay, Because mm-hmm. what they do is they cut it off from the source so that if the platform goes down, no oil spills. Right. 100% of oil spillage comes within transportation. Mm-hmm. That is how oil spills, not from the drilling.
4: Right. And
3: oil d- drilling for natural gas, now off the coast of New Jersey, we have natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, it would not be detrimental to the coast of New Jersey. It would actually create another industry and create union and non-union jobs. So it is not detrimental, and we lose two point thirty six trillion dollars within uh, uh, out of this country's economy by not drilling our God given resources. Now, let me repeat: God given resources—they're no. ours.
1: You mentioned also—I uh, forget what you called it—but it's the idea that the um, towers can be miles and miles away from where they're actually drilling. Yes, they can it's be drilling, drilling. Right, yeah. They can be drilling somewhere off the coast, Correct. but the tower can be Correct. way far away somewhere where we'll never, we'll never which see is, it. Correct, which is, we, you know, the, the, right.
3: the you game. You can't see
0: it from the shore. Exactly. Right.
3: The game, 30 miles out. The game is we're allowing Cuba to, to drill off the coast of Cuba in international waters. They're drilling right in. They're tapping right into our resources from slant drilling. Right. So they're taking our resources Slant drilling. from us. That's now what we're was, allowing yeah. Russia to do it in the Gulf of Mexico. That's our oil. Yeah. That is our crude oil, our natural gas that belongs to this country, that belongs to the people, that they should be making money from, and our country should be making fun. And
1: we're importing it from exactly <laughs> all these in 1977, Arab countries.
3: Right. But in 1977, before we created the Energy Department, which is another failed bureaucracy, we
1: mm-hmm. were
3: only importing about 17 to 20 percent of our oil. Now we're importing 70, 80 percent of our oil. This is outrageous. And a national security issue too i just
1: read about that i understand that the whole reason that they created the energy department was to lessen our dependence on foreign oil. exactly and, and it look how far we've it. gotten with it in 30 right. years yes
3: right. and now let me ask you a question do you want them handling your health care
1: nope okay all right and we have they another the post office they haven't done a good job with that <laughs> medicaid <laughs> medicare I
3: okay mean, list goes on we <laughs> don't want
0: to get too political here but all right let's give this caller a chance
3: go ahead caller Good afternoon, guys. Good, good afternoon, Linda. It's Pete from Northfield. Hi, Pete from Northfield. How are you? How
2: are you? Good. How are you? Um, I'm a longtime Democrat, and I switched to Republican because uh, I wanted to bless you, with Steve Lonigan. <laughs> and um, I God can't bless Steve Lonigan too. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you answered my one question was what I was going to ask you about oil drilling. But looking at Frank Lobiondo, um, he's very big with the Coast Guard and and with the um, over there in Galloway with the uh, the uh, project,
3: the FAA know, project, the
2: FAA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what kind of, what would, if you were elected, what would, and I'm going to be voting in this Republican primary. What, what kind of committees, or what would you want to? focus on if you were
3: elected. Well, I'd like to be on the National Defense Co- Committee. I mean, if I could be Secretary of Defense, that would be my biggest dream. Um, right. But uh, I would like to be on the Defense Committee. Um, other committees I haven't... Uh, I'd like, I think I'd like to really be on the Finance Committee because our spending is absolutely out of control. Right. Um, and uh, uh, if you can just remind me, I know we were talking about the FAA complex, and you had brought up something else prior to that.
0: Mm. He, he's off the line. Go ahead. He's off the line. Oh, he's off the line. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um, one thing. One thing I wanted to say, though say just uh, to to clarify with the FAA project. The FAA project was a horse traded vote on my opponent's side to get fifteen million dollars for an FAA complex that is a program of the federal government anyway. So it it the horse trade a vote for cap and trade. Was not necessary when that should have been paid for in the first place. Now, I understand from you know that Stockton State College is going to be having. Uh, having a course for engineers but that is that course is only going to last as long as they have the students to be able to fulfill the requirements of the course um, it does not guarantee a job either at FAA I mean anybody could go to MIT but it doesn't guarantee them a job at Microsoft mm-hmm. so but horse trading a vote for 15 million dollars out of the taxpayers pocket um, for for something that is not guaranteed um, is just is just reprehensible for a Republican mm-hmm. to do um, to trade out your and Independence, for an FAA complex, and we're trillion dollars in, in deficit.
0: Right, right. Well, that's the problem, uh, Linda. We are facing over an average of a trillion dollars deficits. Not budget. It used to be our budget was a trillion dollars. Now our deficit is a trillion dollars hmm. over the next 10 years. What are you going to do to reduce that deficit? Before, well, I mean, this is not grandchildren paying for this, we're talking hundreds of generations yes. it will take to yes. pay off trillions and trillions of dollars.
3: Absolutely. And our future generations, I mean, they're already $600,000 in debt and they haven't even worked their first job yet. Right. Um, you know, part of that, first of all, we need an earmark reform. Um, in 1996, we had 3,000 earmarks. In 2006, we had 13,000 earmarks. Now, in 2010, we have about 16,000 earmarks. That was not set up by the founders for earmarks for them to go and and you know it's kind of like well they steal so it's okay for me to steal too. Right. Um, you know, we 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 don't we know as as as. You know, district representatives, we, we there's things that we have to do for our community and we have to do for our, our district, but we have to have some common sense about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to have some common sense about the type of earmarks that we're taking instead of just, uh, again, well, that you know, Alaska did it, so I'm going to do it too. Um, that's not a resolution to our current debt, debt situation or our current mm-hmm. deficit situation. So we definitely need some some, some reform, uh, like they were trying to do in 2007 with earmarks. We also need to go through failed bureaucracies uh, that 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 need to be curtailed or need to stop spending. Too. Like the
1: Energy Department.
3: Like the Energy Department, exactly, Kirk. Um, like the Energy Department, uh, or, or like, like education. Education has no place in federal government. That's a state issue, and that's where it belongs is to the states. The federal government needs to get out of it um we also need to get rid of you know that it's, it's all fine and well everybody talks about health care but we have legislation in place that that, you know, there's something we call laws of unintended consequences. They vote on legislation that they don't realize what the laws of unintended consequences are. Our healthcare situation was created by one bill and one bill only, and that was the HMO Act of 1973, which took away the individual right to be able to buy individual policies like auto and life insurance. So instead of repealing that bill and getting rid of bad legislation, they re-regulated legislation, and and that's all they do. They don't reform anything, they re-regulate it.
0: Right. Add more layers of law upon more Layers of law. If
3: you read that last bill that came out of healthcare, and I've read all those bills. If you read that last bill, everything is U.S. Code this, U.S. Code that. No, no person, uh, lay person, unless you're an attorney, and I don't even know if attorneys can do it either, can go back and look. Okay, well this, this, you know, Section 123 with U.S. Code Title 13, Title 21, Title. You have to go back. I mean, and go, right. you know, nobody understands that, and that's how they push this stuff through. It's an insult to people's intelligence.
0: Right. Right. The, Yeah, there actually originally used to be uh, the concept that legislators tried to make laws as simple as possible. That was, you know, felt to be moral. Right. It was immoral to burden people with... incredibly extensive laws that were too difficult to understand and made it essentially impossible for someone to actually follow the law. Exactly. Exactly.
3: I mean, last year, uh, 2009, they put through 7,000 bills. Now, I'm not saying they all passed, but 7,000 bills went through the House. Mm -hmm. 7,000 bills of what? Right. What more liberties do you want to take? I mean, that's outrageous to justify your salary.
1: Right. Our Wonderful. country's been here for well over 200 years now and we still years. need all these new laws every year. We haven't figured these things out yet. <laughs> That's not what our
3: founders you know that that was not their dream of their great experiment of this country. Wow. Um, and we have to remember what Ronald Reagan said, we are the last bastion of hope on the planet Earth.
0: Yeah. Yes, we are. Well, Linda, if
1: we go down, a lot of the rest of the, the world will go goes down, down with us.
0: Yep. Linda, how can people contact you if they'd like to support your campaign or
3: Um well you can go to my website okay. uh, www dot Biamonti for congress that's b as in boy i a m o n t e for congress uh they can contact me there they i also have a facebook page that they that we'd love to have them you know come on and join um we need all the help we can we know it's an uphill battle um but uh i we, do have one question yes, i have sir. to ask
1: you how do you feel about the tea party movement
3: i am the tea party movement. That's how I started. I started with the Tea Party movement, and I was right out there in 912. And, you know, and that that was, uh, you know, I'm with them. I'm 100% with them, and I believe that their voices are being defied by the government. Um, And as long as they keep defying their voices, their voices are going to continue to get louder and louder and louder.
1: So, you consider yourself a Tea Party candidate?
3: No. I'm not a tea party candidate I am a not Repu- officially right I am a Republican candidate running on the Republican ticket um, I do have the support of the Tea Party people but I do consider myself someone part of that movement and it's a wonderful movement and it's going to cont- continue to grow
0: well let me ask you this then uh, Linda because this always concerns me when I'm thinking about voting and that is that uh, if you do not happen to win at this primary mm-hmm. are you going to run against the Republican candidate
3: no. Okay. I will not run as an independent. I am a Republican, and that'll be the ticket, but I will see him again in 2012.
0: Wonderful. Okay. Linda, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I want to have you on for a full hour sometime.
3: Okay, anytime. Very good. Anytime, okay. I'd enjoy it. All Thank right, you so, so
0: much. You bet. Thank you, Linda, for being here. So that's uh, Linda, or it's a uh, Biamonte for Congress, and not the number four, F-O-R.
3: No, right, F-O-R.
0: Congress, great. Thank, Thank th- you again. You bet. Thank you, Linda. All right. Well, that is part of the political views that we uh, like to sh- to bring up on the show. And if you are just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks, and we have Kirk Hastings, who's being unusually quiet. I'm here. <laughs> okay, good. Let people know. Guest host for the week. That's right. And you can call us at 609-398-1020. We are going to shift gears a little bit, because today's topic is, does science conflict with Christianity? We shift from the political
1: department to the theological department.
0: To the, yeah, well, to the science department. Okay. So last week we talked about the evidence, the scientific evidence, that a soul exists that has been demonstrated on PET scanners and in a very... Uh, scrutinized near-death experiences, and uh, that was a terrific show. Today we're going to be talking about science itself. Does it conflict with Christianity? Do you have to park your brain at the door when you become a a Christian?
1: That sounds like what this whole show is about. (laughs) Exactly
0: right. Exactly right. That's what Evidence for Faith is here for. That's right. So we're going to be looking at the relationship between Christianity and science. Is it like oil and water? Um, you know, is there really a problem? Do you have to reject science to become a Christian, or do you have to reject Christianity if you're a scientist? Um, that's that's what we'll be talking about. And one, the first thing I want to point out is that what happens often is that people will— Think that you can ask a scientist this question, and he knows what the relationship between science and theology is. Well but, we kind of have
1: this exalted view of quote unquote scientists anyway. We yes? picture this you know studious looking guy in a, in a long white lab coat. Right. With little glasses that knows everything. Yes. And that's not really what scientists are. (laughs) That's true. That's true.
0: And particularly- The myth
1: is that scientists are people like everybody else with all the foibles and make the mistakes and the the, same things that all of us do. You mean the truth is. And they have
0: their own political um, aspirations and- Viewpoints. Viewpoints. And
1: opinions and whatever. Which affect their work. Yes. Very much so.
0: So- um, More and more in the last 30 or 40 years. So the- Let's take somebody like a nuclear physicist, all right? Somebody who has spent all their time studying nuclear physics. Now, you're going to ask them a question about the relationship between science and theology. Well, they have not been trained for that. This is not their field. Uh, They may have gotten um, two days of it in their introductory course— Uh, At their freshman year, they might have gotten. If that. Exactly. And if they did get anything, guess who would be all the uh, um, academics who are footnoted at the bottom of their lesson? Mm -hmm. They would be all philosophers of science. Right. So those are the experts uh, that are able to answer the questions about uh, science and its relationship to other realms, including uh, theology. Well, let's look at some of the problems, let's look at some of the issues that people claim are problems between Christianity and science, all right? The first is that, allegedly, science shows that you don't need to postulate God, right? I mean, ancient people used to believe that everything that happened to them was explained by some spirit or some god, you Mm -hmm. know, rain, Uh, what caused lightning, why do crops grow only in a certain time of the year, those kinds of things. Those have been explained historically by appealing to a god or to a spirit. So science has taken us away from that mode of thinking, and it's can explain things now in more naturalistic terms, more uh, physically um, evidential terms, and
1: impersonal terms.
0: Yes, I that's, would right. Say. that's right. That's um,
1: right. It's an impersonal universe with impersonal laws that are operating all on their own. Right.
0: Right. So no spirits involved. Almost at almost everything they've been able to explain. You know, at least physical things, have, things that happen to us on a daily. Uh, basis, but they still haven't
1: explained why the phone rings as soon as you get in the shower. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or does the light go out when you close the refrigerator door? There's a few door. questions left yes. they haven't answered. Okay, so the, yeah, the, so those kinds of things, I guess you could say, are too, for pixies and brownies to take care of. But that is one of the. I
1: think it's leprechauns myself. All
0: right. Well, that so that's one of the issues um, that atheists will claim that you don't, you no longer need to postulate a god.
1: Right. We can explain everything ourselves. We don't need a God to explain it to us. Right. We're so smart. Exactly right. <laughs> so uh,
0: another— We're getting back to politicians here again. <laughs> it could be. It could be. All right, the second, second problem that uh, seems to be with science and, and Christianity is that scientific progress has shown that scientific ways of, of knowing things— okay, scientific ways of learning about things— Now, these are alleged things, remember. That's right. —are vastly superior to other ways of knowing, okay? This is what the claim is. Right. So, uh, you know, scientists will point to the technical advances that we've made over the last, say, 300 years, and say, see, science is advancing things. This is a superior way of knowing the truth— Right, so, and they also tend to reduce everything to mathematical um, terms, everything yes. can be explained mathematically right, exactly, and that's another that's right that's that's one of the claims they'll use to say, see, we do things better. Mm-hmm. we have this methodology that is mathematical in nature, like physics, a lot of physics is mathematical, mm-hmm. and um if you look at um say um, I'm thinking of uh. Einstein, but uh, who I want to think of as Newton. Um, Newton, in his book Principia—I just finished uh, last month—and an incredible amount of mathematics Mm -hmm. in it, all about how uh, he explains gravity and how the function of gravity. And a funny thing is that when you read that—this was uh, written in the uh, the 1600s—the atheists—now, Newton was a creationist scientist, Mm -hmm. Bible-believing scientist. Yeah, he was. Yes. With a lot of the early scientists. In fact, he wrote more about uh, the Bible than he did about physics and gravity. Right. Their uh, whole thing was trying to think God's thoughts after him. Exactly right. Not to replace him completely. Exactly right. And um, one of the interesting things is that a lot of his critics, the atheists who were his critics, rejected his view of gravity because it was a kind of invisible hand, and they didn't like that. They they actually believed that there was only mechanics uh, involved and that they, they believed that the planet's Floated in a vortex of the ether, and that it was physical. It was there was actually something physically pushing on planets to make them go around the sun and to make them go in their orbit. And these were like mm. currents, like like that planets were floating, like a jet stream or something. Exactly <laughs> right. Yes, and they called this the ether, and wow. they because they did not want any kind. They didn't want room for God at all. Right. And so this so this is actually a good example of how trying to um, postulate things with no God actually interferes sometimes with your, the development of science. But right. but Newton was able to show that, yes, there is this invisible power that we call gravity that controls the orbits of the planets. <laughs> so, um, so, so anyways, on this issue about science being a better way of knowing, if they, you know, compared to, they will compare themselves, say, to uh, the arts or humanities, things. Uh, theology and different realms, and they'll, they'll show that, well, those areas of science actually develop much more slowly than uh, technology does. And so the, this, again, is what they will say is an evidence that, see, the scientific method is uh, superior, that right. it's a, a better way of knowing things. Right. And so, so that's all that I want to do, is just know things scientifically. So they'll claim that you know alternative ways of knowing are vastly inferior to scientific ways of knowing, and um, you know that they that those other ways of knowing are kind of insecure. You know, we can't really be certain. You know, when you're talking about psychology or um, uh, you know philosophy, we can't really be certain. Those are subjective things. Yes. And you can't know
1: subjective things as well as you can know objective things.
0: Yes. And very, very interesting. I was at a lecture at uh, the University of Penn this week. I went to hear a, an evolutionist biologist by the name of Josh Plotkin, Dr. Josh Plotkin, <laughs> who's done a lot of research on evolution in the realm of viruses, And uh, he had uh, some—was giving some very interesting reports on on the kind of studies that he's doing. And he got challenged by one of the other professors in the audience who challenged him uh, about—because he seemed to be saying that in the future, you know, we'll be able to explain everything. Once we know about a person's DNA, we'll be able to explain everything, and implying that he would be able to explain all the person's behaviors and actions and things. Right. And this— Uh, scientist uh, or this uh, professor challenged him and said, well, you know, really this uh, knowing what somebody is like physically, knowing what how they're built, what their DNA is, really doesn't help us in realms of things like uh, politics and uh, sociology. Or art. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Or philosophy, even to some extent. And so he was willing to back down a little bit, but you could tell that he still reserved this viewpoint that if only we could really, you know, count up the nucleotides of every person, that we would be able to explain everything by this. And this is the kind of um, uh, strange, like um, reductionist thinking that right. that someone now here he is, he's a biologist, but he's not a philosopher. No. You know, he's not an expert in these other fields, but yet he believes that in his limited field of, of biology, of evolutionary uh, or biological evolution, that he can explain everything. So now,
1: here's an interesting point I'd like to make on that. His statement that he feels he will eventually be able to explain everything about a person once he understands their DNA, mm-hmm. that in itself is not a scientific statement. Why not? Because there's no evidence to support that. Ooh, yes.
0: You're, you're getting.
1: Therefore, that's a philosophical statement. Right. He's getting out of his arena already simply by making that point because that is not a scientific point. Yes. I go into that in my book in and in a number of areas where scientists say things that are not scientific. Right, right. But people accept it because
0: it was a scientist that said it. Exactly right. and That's that,
1: the mistake we make. Yes.
0: And that's part of the problem with this alleged problem. Yes. All right, so a third alleged problem is that uh, scientists will claim, or atheists will claim, that specific biblical texts, if taken uh, literally, have been shown by science supposedly to be false. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so therefore, Christianity and science don't mix. Well you have to think about this. Um, really, what does that prove? If that is, if that were true—and um, and I don't agree uh, necessarily that that is true. Um, I'm trying to think
1: of an example of that. What, what would oh, be they, an example like the, something... uh, For instance,
0: the age of the Earth. So they would say that science proves that the age of the Earth is billions of years, and that— uh, if you take the scriptures, but that's literally, not specifically spelled out in the Bible. That's true. That's true. That's one of so the. So they can't really use that one. Well, that they do, though. They do. So okay. they, you know, there's no middle ground. You're either an atheist or you're a cre. I mean, young I, age creationist. I, I personally no...
1: believe my understanding of the Bible tells me that the Earth is a lot younger than these guys are saying it is. But on the other hand, you can't go to a chapter and verse in the Bible where it says the Earth
0: is such and such years old. It doesn't. Specific, specify that. True, true. And that, that is one of the arguments against this problem. Okay. So, but uh, we even if you didn't answer the problem, um, really, what follows from that statement that, that some things, some Bible texts uh, have been shown to be false by science? I mean, does that prove that... So-called God, shown to be false. Does that prove that God doesn't exist? Does that prove the whole rest of the
1: Bible is wrong?
0: No, it doesn't. You throw the
1: baby out with the bathwater. Does it mean
0: that exactly right? So so you know so there's limited um, value from this argument, but um, but that's the third one, and then finally there is uh, uh, the argument of physicalism. Okay, so uh, the claim is that science requires the view of physical. Physicalism. This, this, I
1: really think, is a nutty one. I, I, I don't see how anybody could think this. If they think it out,
0: it really does not hold up. Well, you know, I tell you, somebody like uh, Josh Plotkin, at least from that one lecture that I heard him, he did sound like he was a physicalist, that he could— Oh, he, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot yeah. of people around
1: and scientists that believe this, but so, how they believe it, I, I cannot fathom. I heard a good example recently of this where someone said that um, you can't dissect someone's brain and find their thoughts and their feelings in there. Ooh, did you hear that on our show? I might have. Because <laughs> we talked about that. You may have that. touched on that. <laughs> yes, yes. But so, that in itself proves that everything isn't physical because, you know, you your exa- own makeup proves that that can't be
0: true. That's right. That's right. Or, and I'll give you a thought experiment um, here, here's one uh, definite refuter of that, that th- everything is not physical. Right. Uh, and that is, think about a robot, okay? Or maybe two robots, identical robots. One has software that allows it to, um, say, build part of a car. Mm-hmm. And the other one, the software's missing. It hasn't been loaded in yet. Right. Okay? Now, what is physically different? I'm serious about this. Anything. Anything physical at all, mass, um, size, temperature, uh, Wait. anything, Yeah. what is different about those two robots? Looking physical. at
1: them, there is nothing. Well,
0: even more than looking at them, testing them in any way, physical. Right. There is no physical difference between those two robots. When you add hmm. software to the second robot, does it gain weight? No. Does it change shape? Right. Does it get warmer? Right. Nothing. The software is something completely non-physical. So there you go. There's an example of something completely non-physical, software. Software is information, yet it is very real. I mean, the difference between the two robots is very real. Right. And if your job is to keep the robots working, with one of them, you have a job, and with the second one, you get fired. Right. So it's a very real difference. And you don't produce any cars. (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs)
1: Another interesting uh, variation of that argument I've had is when people have accidents and, like, for instance, become a quadriplegic. Mm-hmm. If you lose an arm or you lose a leg or whatever, you don't think of that person as being less of a person now than he was before the accident. Oh, good point. Because part of his physical body is missing. Right. The whole personality, the person, is still there. Right. So but part of their physical being is not there anymore. But it really doesn't make a difference as far as the person is concerned. Right. We don't think of, oh, he's only a 70%
0: person. Yes. Yes. I think that's a good one. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There, yeah, there is definitely an immaterial part of you, and that we covered in the last And you're admitting episode. that the physical person is not the real person. Right. Right. All right. So now let's—so we've, we've done, as we've gone along, talked about um, these four uh, problems with theology and science, or Christianity problems. and science. That's right. And um, so let's let's get more in-depth into some of the answers. Um, I do want to say, you know, that uh, it's been the Christian position that we basically gave birth to science. Uh, the Christian worldview gave birth to mm-hmm. science. It was the early creationist scientists who developed the uh The Scientific Method, in fact, uh, it was first um, really written about by Francis Bacon, a creationist scientist who talked about the scientific method. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things, you know, if, if, if creation scientists started science, then what happened? What went wrong? How to get away from them. Exactly. Well, here's one of the um, explanations. And and if, uh, Tom, if you'll get uh, a sound clip that I, I pulled, I noticed while I was watching the, late, the uh, recent movie um, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a part where Sherlock is explaining something about science that I thought was very fascinating. But Francis Bacon in the scientific method very clearly said that what you should do is develop your facts first, go for the data, find the information. Once you have data, once you have examined something very carefully, then you create a theory about that data And then you set out to try to prove whether that theory is correct or Mm -hmm. you try to falsify that theory. And that is the original scientific method and how things were supposed to work. Mm -hmm. But what happened is that during the Enlightenment period, atheists flipped that on its head. And in fact, atheist Enlightenment people used to laugh at the creationist scientists and they said they were not theorists and they would laugh at them for not theorizing. And what they thought should happen is that you ought to theorize first and then see if the facts match your theory. Well, of course, there's a big problem with that, and Sherlock Holmes tells us what it is.
4: It's a huge mistake to theorize before one has data. Inevitably, one begins to twist facts to shoot theories instead of theories to shoot facts.
0: Okay, did you get that? I was a little bit low Let's try try it again. Let's see how that goes with a little higher volume.
4: This is Sherlock Holmes. A huge mistake to theorize before one has data. Inevitably, one begins to twist facts to shoot theories instead of theories to shoot facts.
0: All right. Well, there was mm-hmm. a lot of background noise that in that. Okay. So do you see what he's saying? Yeah.
1: Really, you're depending on your imagination first and then trying to force the evidence to fit your imagination. Exactly right. Rather than
0: going with what's real to begin with, and then trying to understand why it is that way. Exactly right. Well, if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings. And you can uh, join in the conversation by calling 609-398-1020.
1: But do it quick. We're only here for five more
0: minutes. Oh, is it only five minutes? Just about. Okay. Oh, our engineer is telling us seven, so you are wrong. Okay. Oh. I found Kirk made a mistake. Oh. Uh-oh. So um, let's get into... I do have a really good uh, sound clip that I want to get into one of the... Actually,
1: I have this theory that it's five minutes. Oh, okay. I'm going to set out to try to prove <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> well, okay. I'll tell you what. Two wait, minutes wait, two don't minutes, count. Wait two minutes, and you'll be right. <laughs> All right. So, um, so how do we... How do we uh, uh, answer? Uh, let's let's answer the issue of scientism. Okay, the the idea that um, science really is the best way of proving things, and that um, things that can't be proved by science uh, basically aren't true. Okay. Okay. Well, there's two forms of this. They come in. There's strong scientism, and that means that. Something can be known only if that thing is scientifically testable, okay? That's strong scientism. Now, that uh, is obviously false, and I'll tell you why. It's because that statement itself cannot be scientifically tested. So it's Mm. like cutting off the limb that you're sitting on. The right. statement itself can't be proved scientifically, so it is a self-refuting statement. Right. It's it's like saying that no uh, no sentence is longer than three words, you know. It is obviously false. One of the self-refuting means that you know if it's true, it's false, and if it's false, it's false. Well, the so,
1: first thing that occurred to me when you said that is is that proves all of history is false because we can't repeat anything that happened scientifically exactly past. right therefore exactly we'd right. have
0: to say none of it happened all right all right we have a caller on the line so caller go ahead
2: so what are you guys trying to say that science and uh, god are two different things
0: no we're actually well science and god are two different things yes i would agree with that um but that they're compatible not incompatible exactly right
2: well, i could agree with that you know, yes i'm not an atheist i believe in god yes but i also believe we came from the ocean.
0: Yes. Okay, well, many...
2: We evolved evolved into human beings, and actually God created all life.
0: Now... Not just us. Okay. Oh, now you said God... Okay, God did it. So you... Okay, God used evolution? Pardon me? God used evolution?
2: Well, I think evolution just developed on itself. Okay. You know? I mean, if you go back in time, you know man was uh living in caves and uh building a fire and uh he probably learned how to uh, cook food by accident when he went through a forest fire and realized uh there was a deer that was all burned up and they started tasting it or something, you know? Yeah. I mean
0: Right. There are, I you know what there are thousands of these kinds of stories, imaginary stories that you can make up to They're not try.
2: imaginary. They're, that's that's about about what men Probably happened to him. Well, probably you
0: know? I, I know you're. You have to try to create these stories to um, explain how uh, man developed. Um, but the, there's a real problem. Well, they
2: because wh- they 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 can't find the evidence of stuff because it's all been. The Earth is just uh, you know it it evolves on itself with the with the forest and everything. I mean, even the volcanoes cover everything up with all the lava, all the evidence. They just found skulls of somebody that. That
0: maybe we're related to the eight. Oh yeah, I know they find those all the time and and yeah. then and then about a year later on the back page they say, "Oh, we're sorry, it, we made a it mistake." It was a mistake, yeah. Yeah. So, um let me explain that um one of the things that cannot be explained by that theory is how you can think clearly. Now, Scott, do we have time for planning as clip here? Cuz this is a defeater for the view of evolution and naturalism. And it takes about two minutes. So it's planning a clip on... Nowadays people,
4: often many people think there is a kind of science-religion conflict, and that um, evolution really lies at the heart of the science-religion conflict. The truth of the matter, it seems to me, is that there isn't a science-religion or a science-christian-theism conflict at all. Science began in the whole context of Christian theism, and works well only in that context. And as a matter of fact, where there is a conflict is between science and naturalism, not science and religion, but science and naturalism. Yes, if you're a naturalist, you will think, of course, that what I think depends on my neurology, on how the neurons in my brain are working, on what goes on in my brain. It also it's also my behavior also depends on neurology. Now, given that we've survived, given the human race has survived, We can take it for granted that um, our behavior has been adaptive and therefore that our neurology has been adaptive in that it uh, caused adaptive behavior. It also causes belief, but it doesn't matter whether the belief is true or false as far as adaptivity goes. So if you accept naturalism and evolution, you've got You're what you might call a defeater for the thought that your cognitive faculties are reliable. You've got a reason to give it up, not to hold that belief. And if you've got a reason to give that belief up, then you have a reason to give up any belief you take to be produced by your cognitive faculties. But of course, that's all your beliefs, including then naturalism and evolution itself. So naturalism and evolution, that combination of beliefs, if you put them together it shoots itself in the foot, you might say. It produces a defeater for itself. And that means you can't sensibly accept it. It's not a rational combination of beliefs. And that means then that naturalism and evolution, far from fitting together and supporting each
0: other, cut directly against each other. Okay, hmm. did you get that? That was very deep. Yeah. Um uh, Alvin Plantinga is one of the greatest uh, philosophers of this last century um, he's uh, he's going to be talked about he's already in most major textbooks uh, uh, college textbooks on philosophy and uh, but essentially
1: he said if everything evolved from impersonal elements then we have no reason to trust any of our own thoughts and beliefs about how it happened exactly right So So, it's self defeating self defeating
0: must be false. You've been listening to Evidence for Faith with Keith Kendricks and author Kirk Hastings. Join us again next Sunday at four PM for more reasons to believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.